You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. This episode of Locked On Bills is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center, and a big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Happy Friday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. We've got a lot to cover here today on the podcast. We'll start with my leftover thoughts Then we'll talk to banged up Bills about the injury situation entering the game. I have my predictions for Sunday and, of course, my NFL draft prospects to watch for Saturday. The guys that I think are targets of the Buffalo Bills that fit areas of need on the team. So you have all of that coming your way here today on the podcast. Let's get started with those leftover thoughts. And I want to commit this segment to answering a really good herd mentality question that I saved for today. And the question comes from Ryan. Ryan says, what do you want to see out of each of the other young quarterbacks in the AFC East? Each one entered this season in very different circumstances and in very different situations based on where they are now and your pre-draft reports on them. What would you want out of each one if you were their coach? I know this is a Bills podcast, but these three young players may shape six games per year for a long time to come. And so I think today's a good opportunity to talk about this because the Bills are facing Tua Tungavailoa on Sunday. And as weird as it is, the Bills will be done with the Dolphins before they even play the Jets or the Patriots. And so those big dates against Wilson and Mac Jones are coming up. And so I think this is a great opportunity to kind of share some of my thoughts about these young quarterbacks. We'll finish with Tua. Let's start with Zach Wilson of the New York Jets, who is injured right now. He just had a knee injury. He'll be out two to four weeks. And so that's going to put him on the sideline, obviously. We won't see him play, but I have some thoughts about him so far. And first of all, the Jets have to be better around him. The Jets have to be a better football team around him. You shouldn't be surprised that the New York Jets are struggling like they have this year. Their roster is not good enough. Their offensive line has holes. They need more weapons. They need a ton of help in the secondary. They need more on that defensive line. Like This is not a roster that is ready to compete, and it's arguably not a roster that was ready to add a quarterback. Now, that's a difficult needle to thread between believing in a quarterback when you need one and being ready to have that quarterback. I don't ever advocate against picking a quarterback if you believe they can be a franchise quarterback and you don't have one. But the Jets have to get a lot better around Zach Wilson. So that's kind of first and foremost on my mind. And then we have to go back to some of the stuff that I talked about over the offseason about Zach Wilson and him coming to the New York Jets. This was always a very big transition for him. Utah born and raised part of a very affluent family, big family, did a lot of things together. They still go on vacation together. 
And all of a sudden, Zach is stripped away from that. And he's in New York City, asked to be the savior of the New York Jets. He wasn't even necessarily going to be the starting quarterback for BYU in 2020. He had two bad seasons at BYU before he broke out and did what he did in 2020 and deserved to be such a high pick. Like He definitely played himself into deserving that selection. But when you really just consider the personal side of this situation and that transition for Zach Wilson, that's a lot to consider. And so there's a time on task thing that's going to be necessary here. The Jets got to get better around him and he needs more time. He's going to need more time to maximize his ability to produce and settle in to this role. Now, as for what Zach Wilson can do outside of just be on a better team that he's been a part of for longer, not considering his transition, right? Like that stuff that really Zach Wilson can't control. Where Zach Wilson can make strides is by making the easy stuff look easy. We've seen some really impressive stuff in terms of Zach Wilson working off script, throwing the football down the field, and making some big throws. What we haven't seen enough is the consistency in terms of just operating within the structure of the offense, finding completions, and keeping the offense on schedule. That's not an uncommon thing to be said about rookie quarterbacks. But that's where Zach Wilson's at. He's at that point where, hey, man, love the big plays, love what you can improvise and do, just kind of need you to do the normal stuff. Settle in and do the normal stuff. And time on task and a better roster will help him with that. The other thing for Zach Wilson is he's got to learn how to beat the blitz. One thing that NFL defenses do with rookie quarterbacks is they blitz you until you prove you can beat it. And Zach Wilson is nowhere near proving he can beat it. In fact, he has a 37.2 passer rating when he's blitzed. 37.2. So until he proves that he can beat the blitz, NFL defenses are going to tee off on him and send extra rushers and make it hell for him in the pocket until he proves he can make defenses pay for that. So, My big five points with Zach Wilson is, number one, the Jets have to improve around him. Number two, we have to be aware of what he's been asked to do. Utah born and raised, part of an affluent big family. All of a sudden, he's plucked away. He's a quarterback of the New York Jets. He needs more time on task. He has to make the easy stuff look easy, and he has to figure out how to beat the blitz. As for Mac Jones, New England Patriots, he's probably been the best rookie quarterback so far. He's done a nice job. He's come in and kept his head above water and played well for the New England Patriots. So as I consider Mac Jones and the New England Patriots, I would carry over one of my talking points from Zach Wilson to Mac Jones and that the Patriots need to get better around him, and I'm looking particularly at wide receiver. They have a good offensive line. They have good tight ends. I think he needs more weapons at wide receiver. I know that they went out and gave – decent contracts to Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, but I mean those aren't those aren't the ideal top two receivers you want to have around your young quarterback, especially one that's limited like Mac Jones is. So first and foremost, the New England Patriots have to get better around him and give him more dynamic weapons to throw the football to. 
Number two from Mac Jones is I want to see him work the ball down the field more. And I know that Jones doesn't have a big-time arm in terms of arm strength and velocity and fitting the ball into tight windows, but he's really good, or at least he was at Alabama, throwing the ball to moving targets down the field with accuracy in touch. And so far, he's not really been asked to do that for the New England Patriots. And so I want to see that become a bigger part of his game because he's not one of those quarterbacks that because of his athleticism and arm talent, he's going to force you to defend every blade of grass on the field. But the more he can do in terms of throws down the field with touch and accuracy is going to soften up defenses and allow him to have more space to work with. And I think that's going to be critical for him to be able to survive given his modest physical upside. The next thing I have down is something that Josh Allen said recently, and it really resonates with me. He said there's two different types of quarterbacks, guys that figure it out and guys that get figured out. Guys that figure it out and guys that get figured out. And so absent of mobility, absent of arm strength, how does Mac Jones stay ahead? How does he avoid limiting the Patriots offense? Like I said, he doesn't have access to the entire field. The entire playbook isn't available for a Mac Jones. And we haven't seen him really rise above yet. And that's okay. I mean, he's started a handful of games in the NFL. But right now, in situations where the Patriots are trailing and there's under four minutes left in the game, Mac Jones is 11 of 20 for 145 yards, touchdown, interception, and a passer rating of 74. So how is Mac Jones going to elevate this team with his modest physical upside? I think about a conversation that I had with Hugh Jackson, the former head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Had a chance to speak with him a few months ago, and he was very honest and open and candid with me about the decisions that they made as an organization with the Cleveland Browns. And so him and I were talking about a ton of things, and one of the things we discussed was the decision to pick Baker Mayfield. They had the number one pick in the draft, and they picked Baker Mayfield over Josh Allen, over Sam Darnold, over Josh Rosen, over Lamar Jackson. And the reason they picked Baker Mayfield ahead of all of those other quarterbacks is because they believed that Baker Mayfield was closer to his ceiling and that he was closer to being able to come in and play good football from the outset. And given the history that the Browns had with drafting quarterbacks in the first round and them not panning out, they didn't feel like they could afford to wait. They, don't, they didn't feel like they could afford to wait on a Josh Allen to reach his ceiling. They needed somebody that can come in right away and play close to the level that they're going to play at their peak. And I think you can apply this to somebody like Mac Jones. He's been the best rookie quarterback so far. And that shouldn't really surprise anyone. He's a guy that, from a mental processing standpoint, in accuracy, in pro-style concepts, was most prepared to come in and execute from day one. Way more than a Trevor Lawrence, or a Justin Fields, or a Zach Wilson, or a Trey Lance. Now, all of those other quarterbacks that I just mentioned, 
those other four first-round quarterbacks from the 2021 NFL Draft, they have significantly higher ceilings than Mac Jones. They also have a significantly higher learning curve. So we shouldn't be surprised that Jones has looked the best. My question is, what's the ceiling here? What is the ceiling here? He's not athletic and he doesn't have a big arm. To me, there's just always going to be limitations there. Like I said, doesn't have access to the whole field. The entire playbook isn't available. Is he the type of guy that is going to get figured out and he doesn't have enough traits to lean on to rise above it? That's my question for Mac Jones at this point. Now let's get to Tua Tungavailoa. What an interesting situation this is. Less than two years ago, right? Like 18 months ago, the Miami Dolphins made Tua the number five overall pick in the NFL draft. This is the face of the franchise. This is your savior. You've been waiting for this next quarterback to come through and be the answer to replace Dan Marino. And look at what's happened since. It's pretty embarrassing, honestly, how Miami has treated this situation. And I understand that there's a lot of disconnect between what the owner wanted and what the front office and coaching staff wanted at quarterback. And that has been detrimental to Tua. But whether it's been him being unexpectedly inserted into the lineup, getting pulled in and out last year as a rookie to put Fitz in in the fourth quarter and allow him to finish games, or the Deshaun Watson trade rumors. This is just not the right environment. This is not the right messaging. This is just not how you treat a guy that you just picked number five overall. So I feel bad for Tua to an extent. Now, I think he's got his own limitations. But nobody this quick into their tenure, after being such a highly picked quarterback, deserves to have gone through what Tua has gone through. So with that out of the way, let's talk about Tua specifically. And we obviously broke him down pretty in-depth on the Wednesday podcast. But first of all, this guy has got to work progressions better. He has to prove that when his first read isn't available, that he has the poise and ability to survey the defense, understand coverage rotation, and put the football where it needs to go. He needs to be better working off of his first read. Number two, he's got to handle pressure better. I mean, we talked about this on Wednesday. His passer rating dips 80 points when he's pressured versus when he's kept clean. Now, he's done a good job of avoiding sacks, but the results of throws that he makes when he's pressured has to get better. I mean, has to get astronomically better. Number three is leadership. Tua has to prove that he can be a leader of a football team. They didn't vote him a team captain. They didn't vote him a team captain, your quarterback, year two. He hasn't walked in and taken the bull by the horns and said, this is my football team. I'm the leader. Let's go. Let's go execute. Let's ride or die. That didn't happen from Tua. And maybe he's not that type of guy, but at some point there has to be some evidence that this guy can lead a football team. If you're going to be a quarterback in the NFL, you better be a leader on your football team. 
And the last thing I'll say about Tua is that this is a big game for him. Big game. Amid the Deshaun Watson rumors, Tua can change the narrative on Sunday for him. Let's go back to week 17. Three interceptions, 62.5 passer rating. Three interceptions, 62.5 passer rating when the Bills sat a ton of players on defense, played their backups literally for the second half, and Tua couldn't go and not just get a win, but he couldn't play well. He didn't do his part in Week 17 last year when the Bills beat him 56-26. to The Dolphins are facing a win-and-in situation. They're 10-5 and entering that game. They win, they go to the playoffs. Well, two in Miami laid an egg. Now, he had some garbage time stats that help inflate his yardage in terms of passing, but it was a flop of a performance. Then you go to week two this year to a second chance to play against the Bills. He lasts two series, was sacked twice, and the Bills teed off. The Bills teed off on him. They capped the glance route and said, if we do these two things, we don't think you can beat us. Showed no respect for Tua. And now here we are. Sunday. Tua has another chance to go play against the Buffalo Bills. Amid the Deshaun Watson rumors, Tua has a big opportunity to go play against the Buffalo Bills on the road. It's going to be chilly. It's going to be windy. Can he meet the moment? If he flops... The next thing he knows, it could be Deshaun Watson on his way to Miami. So you have a team wavering in their commitment to Tua. They've they've been awful in terms of handling him as a a quarterback in his development. How is he going to go out there and respond to this on Sunday? So a lot of questions with all of these players. I mean, there's a chance that all three of these guys, along with Josh Allen, are the discussion in the AFC for years and years and years to come. But it feels real good to have 17 amid everything I just said about Wilson, Jones, and Tua. feels real good to have 17. This episode of Locked On Bills is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect a place where classmates can meet up for a study group knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team or the away team can come to recharge. It's a place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. I personally love that McDonald's serves breakfast all day long. So head to your local McDonald's and refuel and reconnect. I'm loving it. I'm joined now by Dr. Kyle Trimble of Banged Up Bills. He runs the website bangedupbills.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Banged Up Bills. He joins us each week to talk about the injury situation entering the game. And uh, coming off of the bye week, the Bills are in pretty good shape, but they're not completely healthy. And I want to start with tight end Dawson Knox. We've all enjoyed his breakout season to this point, but he injured his hand in that loss to the Tennessee Titans. And um, there's been some reports out there that it could be a two, three-week type thing. We saw some video this week um, where, to my untrained eye, it looked pretty good to me based on what he was doing. But uh, 
you are trained. And so you could tell us what you know about Dawson Knox and, and what the uh, situation is there. So, yeah, Dawson Knox, he had suffered the hand fracture. We didn't find out about it until the next day uh, when they said he had had a fracture and they didn't have an initial time frame until later in the week around Saturday morning when they released that. Uh, they did say he had surgery earlier on that Tuesday as soon as they got back um, from Tennessee. And we weren't sure what exactly he had done. They had said that it was a hand um, injury at first, and then they kept with that hand injury. So the reason I bring that up is because there's a difference between the hand injury and a wrist injury. So if you're dealing with a hand injury, you're looking more uh, anywhere from like the, the metacarpals, which are like the long bones in the hand that are like just below where the knuckles are at. Like if you were to make a fist down to about your, your wrist there. And then the wrists are comprised of the carpal bones. There's a series of small, uh, they're not necessarily P-shaped, but they're different irregularly shaped bones that help make all the different functions of the wrist possible. So knowing which bones he broke really dictated the timeline for return there. Um, on, before we came on, we were talking about the video out there. I believe John Scott had put it out there, Thad Brown, all the beat reporters had put out there that he was running around with just a bandage on, his, um, on the dorsum of his hand. Uh, on his right side, which was really good to see because you would think that after surgery, you'd want more protection. But since the long bone in the hand doesn't really do a ton, it's more of a st stable uh, bone in terms of requiring muscles to attach to it, there's not a ton of movement required. So they can get away with, hey, we stabilize this through plate and screws. We put a bandage on to protect the, the open wound that's healing. And then you can start getting that function back there. So um, based off of the positioning of the uh, bandage on the hand and then knowing that he broke more than one bone in there is highly suggested that he probably broke the second and third metacarpals which are the uh, middle finger and ring finger um, they went surgery took care of it and right now the timeline is three weeks now three weeks they speculate that he'll be out till week 10 however i had done an article over buffalo Rummings. you should really go check that out um, look at the numbers a lot of people did which i thank those that did uh, I speculate that he could come back as, as soon as week nine. The big difference is going to be how his pain is going to be, uh, how his motion and how his strength is going to be. One factor that not every uh, receiver, tight end, running back have to deal with is the velocity that Josh Allen throws at. He throws a little bit harder than most other uh, quarterbacks. So we have to factor in when Dawson Knox returns to practice, uh, where he's able to catch footballs, is he be able to go through this and actually catch the football without having pain? We don't want him trying to get out there dropping balls because we saw that in the first two seasons. So we want to make sure that he can go through all the activities without pain, be able to engage his blocks without pain, make sure he can catch those footballs without pain. If he can do all that stuff, there's no reason why he can't come back. Uh, he could wear padding underneath the hand as well, or, or underneath the glove, I should say, uh, to help him out with some of that uh, discomfort. But the Bills have this nice stretch of games where the opponents aren't too great and they can afford to let him sit out longer than they need to be um, in order to make sure he's fully right, especially for the stretch run. So I think he's going to come back week nine against the Jaguars because he wants to play. But if he comes back into Jets, I'm okay with that too because he needs to make sure that he's sure-handed when he does catch those balls from, Doss, or excuse me, from Josh Allen. Well, and it's certainly encouraging that he didn't go on injured reserve. And so that that's good news there. I'm anxious to see him back as soon as possible. But... Like you said there, the, the opponents coming up don't really demand you to force anything, and I think the Bills should be careful, which I think they will. Now, 
Something on this injury report that has me a little worried is Spencer Brown, a back injury. Coach McDermott mentioned that he wouldn't practice on Wednesday in his media availability earlier this week, and so he's been DNP Wednesday and Thursday. And uh, Kyle, tall people with back injuries, that concerns me. It it can. Um, There's just being that tall and being that heavy, your center of gravity is around your waistline there. And then when you're doing a lot of bending forward and coming back up like that, it just requires a lot more effort on the low back, on the hips, just everything in general in that area. I don't know what he did that caused the injury. Uh, he played in every snap from what I recall in the uh, Titans game, but this injury is significant enough that it's caused him to be out for you know the past two games, or excuse me, past two practices, despite a bye week here. So yeah, that's something to factor in too. Uh, he doesn't have any previous history of back injuries uh, from what I found from uh, high school and college. Uh, so this might just be something that, you know, he's, he's acclimating to the NFL. He's playing against better competition and he's getting banged up, but um, he's one of those guys that I don't know that they want to push and get out there. If he's not hundred percent, especially with the raw talent that he has, I don't know that he plays unless he gets a full practice on Friday and then they say he's good to go. But it's really hard to speculate because we don't have an idea when the injury occurred or what exactly is going on, whether it's just sore back or whether he's having some type of potential disc issue, which is a whole nother can of worms. But we just have to kind of wait and see with that. But we have capable backups to get through this game if Spencer Brown can't go. Let's close with a couple of Bills defensive linemen that are popping up on the list, Justin Zimmer with a foot injury. He's been limited Wednesday and Thursday. And then Boogie Basham did not practice on Thursday due to an illness. So I'm guessing you don't have any firm details, but I would like to hear your speculation on both situations. So Justin Zimmer, uh, he popped up on the injury report um, following Wednesday's practice. He wasn't one that Sean McDermott had noted prior to practice because he noted that about Dawson Knox saying he would already be out for week eight. And then he said that Spencer Brown would be limited or would not practice. Uh, so Zimmer, he must have suffered this foot injury um, in practice on Wednesday. He was limited again on Thursday. We don't know where this is trending. He doesn't have a lengthy injury report from what I found, and with how he's had to bounce around the league to try to finally get a home here in Buffalo, it's going to take a lot to get him off the field. So I expect he's going to play unless they outright rule him out. I mean, we can't. We don't know what happened, so we can't say exactly. I. I want to assume that maybe he might have suffered a uh, maybe a minor sprain or maybe he got the foot stepped on and just taking it easy, more pain-related issue. It's promising that he was limited on Wednesday and then limited on Thursday. We saw that with AJ Epinesa uh, prior to, I think it was in week five or week six, and then he had playing, and then we never heard anything from that again. So I think Zimmer will play unless they say otherwise or we get more information. Um, as for Boogie Basham, the weather's changed up here in Buffalo. It's going from this you know, nice 70, 60 degrees days to where it's getting cool at night. The you know, temperature's changing and kind of just wreak havoc on people's sinuses. And you know, again, just not feeling too good there. So um, if he doesn't play, and once again, he's one of those guys that I'm sure they want to get out there, especially against a subpar Miami Dolphins team. But you know, I've tried playing sick myself. A lot of other people have, and it's just not fun when you can't breathe and you're trying to run and do everything you have to out in the field. So, um, the the Bills are in a good place injury wise. Where if these guys can't go for a reason, all of them, that they can still get the job done, and then they can make sure they're ready for the long stretch. Hopefully, keep in the playoffs. 
I want to put you on the spot here with a, a final question here based on your analysis there on Boogie Basham. What is the temperature in Dr. Kyle Trimble's house that it is required for you to crank on the heat? What is the, what's that threshold? What's that magic mark for you to crank on the heat? I got kids, so usually it's about 64, 65. And 65 is a sweet spot. Anything below that, it starts getting too cold for the kids. All right. I, hey, listen, I think my answer would be different pre- or, or you know pre and post kids myself, so I respect it. But when there were no kids in the equation, I'll tell you what I would bundle up and uh, and make it last as long as possible before cranking on that heat. But uh, you, you you put a hoodie on, you keep it at sixty fifty five, you're good to go. That's what my dad did, and yeah, he he saved a few bucks that way. Yeah, for sure. All right, we appreciate it, Doctor Kyle Trimble, Banged Up Bills. You can follow him on Twitter at Banged Up Bills, and. Uh, he gives us that expertise every single week that I cannot deliver for you. So we appreciate it, and uh, let's uh, let's get a Bills win this week. Thank you, Joe. Go Bills. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best-tasting protein bar on the planet. So many great flavors. They have coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, German chocolate cake, cookies and cream, orange, strawberry, salted caramel. So many great flavors. And look, maybe you want to try them all. Well, you can. Get yourself a mixed box that's where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. You can sample every single one of them and figure out which ones are your favorites. And not only are Built Bars the best tasting protein bars on the planet, they're healthy too. Check out these macros. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. The flavors are amazing. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. I've got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use our promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, folks, it is prediction time here on the podcast. I've got five for you, including the result of the game. Number one, 350 total yards and three touchdowns from Josh Allen. I think Josh is going to be hungry for this one. Didn't necessarily play well in the first two weeks of the season, which includes week two against the Miami Dolphins, a team that he typically, in terms of statistics, really does historically put up big numbers. And a lot of quarterbacks have put up big numbers against Miami, and Josh Allen has already had one opportunity to do so. I think he balls out on Sunday, 350 total yards, three total touchdowns for Josh Allen against Miami. Number two, I have the Bills with a red zone touchdown percentage of 75% or better. This had to be amongst the highest priorities for the Bills to work on during the bye week. And so from a Brian Dable perspective and what I keep saying about how the Bills have every ingredient necessary to be an exceptional red zone offense, I think it shows up right away this week for the Bills. Again, the percentage of, of red zone touchdown percentage, I think, will be 75% or better. So three out of every four at least this coming Sunday. Number three, someone is getting their first sack of the season, and I'm not limiting my options to Tremaine Edmonds and Ed Oliver, but they certainly stand out as two players that should get plenty of opportunity that have yet to record a sack this season. So I do predict that somebody on the Bills defense will record their first sack, and the two names that really kind of pop for me are Oliver and Edmonds. Number four, and this is something I talked about a few different times this week on the podcast, 
expect something weird from Miami. And so I predict that there will be either a surprise onside kick, fake field goal, fake punt, or a pass thrown by a non-quarterback. They are going to do some different things here to help bridge the gap, if you will, right? There's a big gap between where the Bills and Dolphins are and the desperation that exists with Miami. I expect them to empty their bag and do trick plays and you know surprise things on special teams. So either a surprise onside kick, fake field goal, fake punt, or a pass thrown by a non-quarterback. And then lastly, as far as the result of this game, do I think the Bills win or lose? I think the Bills win. They get to 5-2. and two. They're 4-0 under Sean McDermott coming off of the bye. They've done well against Miami. You have two hungry teams, but at the end of the day, the Bills are the better football team. They're hungry. They're better. They're coming off of a, a bye week. They're coming off of a loss. The Bills are looking at, looking at this schedule that they have and have a great opportunity to stack wins, and that starts by getting the first one against Miami on Sunday. So give me a Bills win here for my prediction on the game. All right, the last thing we need to do today on the podcast is give you my NFL draft prospects to watch this weekend. And my apologies for forgetting to do this last week with it being the bye week. It just slipped my mind and I got out of my rhythm of the week and unfortunately forgot to do this segment. So we'll make it up to you today. I've got several players for you to focus on this week with an eye towards the Buffalo Bills. So if you want to watch college football on Saturday and pay attention to different players that I think are fits for the Bills at potential position of needs, here are some prospects for you to watch at every single time slot. So the action gets started at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Turn your TV to Fox, and the game to watch is Michigan against Michigan State, a massive big game in the Big Ten. A couple of undefeated teams that um, have their eyes set on winning the Big Ten and going to the college football playoffs. The player to watch is Michigan State running back, Kenneth Walker III, he wears number nine. He's five foot 10, 210 pounds. And so I know that it might feel weird that I'm telling you to watch a running back, but we have to be mindful of Devin Singletary. He's going to be in a contract year next season. I don't think that Zach Moss has necessarily performed at a level that makes you feel for sure that he is the Bills' answer at running back. And so I think there's a chance the Bills could be in, a, in the market to find another ball carrier to develop and see if uh, – they can get some more production out of their backfield. And so Kenneth Walker the third from Michigan State, again, number 9, 5'10", 210, is having a great year. I mean, he's a Heisman contender right now. He's averaging 4.82 yards after contact per carry. He's got 997 rushing yards in seven games so far for Michigan State. And um, his blend of vision, contact balance, power, He's got some nice juice for a guy his size. I mean, he's a good back. And if the Bills wanted to target a running back on day two, I mean, this is the type of guy that could really fit. And the reason this is such a good matchup is not because, obviously, it's a big game, but Michigan's run defense has been exceptional this year. And so this is going to be strength versus strength, a good rushing offense against a very good rushing defense. And uh, Kenneth Walker will have a real opportunity to – show his ability to really dictate a football game. And so focus on him, again, number nine for Michigan State. At 3.30, turn your TV to CBS. It's Georgia against Florida. And the guy to focus in on here is Florida defensive lineman Zachary Carter. Wears number 17. He's six foot five, 
285 pounds. I think he's got plenty of room on his frame to bulk up. And so if the Bills wanted him to be 295 or 300 pounds, I don't think that's um, something he can't do. And so I think he's been a really good player for Florida for multiple seasons. I think he's taken a step this year. His pass rush has really come along. He's been a very good run defender. He gives you that versatility to play on the edge or inside. And for Florida this year, he's playing a lot in the B-gaps. And so I think for a Bills defense that prioritizes versatility up front, that prioritizes rotating players, that's going to have opportunities to bring in plenty of new defensive linemen next year as you consider Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison and Justin Zimmer and Vernon Butler and Harrison Phillips are all in contract years, even F.A. Obata. I mean, the Bills are going to continue bringing in defensive linemen, especially if they don't bring back all of those players. And so as we consider what the Bills like at the position and what Zachary Carter offers, he's a good target to pay attention to, a day-two type player. Again, uh, this Georgia team here is the best team in college football, and they're really good in the trenches. And so seeing Zachary Carter in a heavyweight matchup like this will be a great opportunity to get a look at his skill set. Then at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, ABC, back to the Big Ten. It's Penn State against Ohio State. And the big attraction here are both of the Ohio State wide receivers. Chris Olave, number two. Garrett Wilson, number five. These guys are outstanding. They're first-round caliber wide receivers. And so Zachary Carter was more of a day-two defensive lineman. Kenneth Walker, a day-two running back. But if the Bills were going to pick a wide receiver in the first round, which... I am probably for, given how important I think it is for the Bills to have another outside wide receiver opposite of Diggs that is kind of a do-everything player that can get vertical and, and separate quickly and win after the catch and do all the things that Emmanuel Sanders does. I think these two players are really good options. So number two, Chris Olave. Number five, Garrett Wilson. Olave is 6'1", 188. Wilson is six foot one ninety two, And... They're pretty similar players. They're both very dynamic route runners. They can separate at all levels of the field. They both have really good hands and ball skills. Uh, Wilson is probably a little more physical, a little bit better in the contested situations, uh, a guy that you maybe aren't worried about throwing him the ball over the middle of the field and he'll make catches in traffic. He's just a bit more of a physical player. Really good option. So is Chris Olave, who I think is a little bit more dynamic in terms of speed down the field and uh, elusiveness as a route runner. So both first-round talents would be elated for the Bills to land either of them. And uh, these guys against Penn State's going to be a good matchup because Penn State's got a good defense. They have long physical corners in Tariq Castro-Fields as well as Joey Porter Jr., good safety in Jaquan Brisker. And so it's a nice contest here for a Buckeyes offense that is really humming right now, and, and a lot of that is due to these really good receivers that they have in Olave and Wilson. And then, of course, as a bonus, you can watch Jahan Dotson from Penn State. I've talked about him a number of times on this podcast. I think he's Emmanuel Sanders 2.0 in a lot of different ways. And so if you're watching Penn State with the ball, you can you can check out Jahan Dotson, who we've shouted out a ton in this podcast. But the, uh, the main attraction here in terms of new names – that I haven't discussed is Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson for the Ohio State Buckeyes. A lot of different options here in this game overall that I think really would fit what the Bills like in receivers and what they want to do in the passing game. All right, folks, that's it. We uh, gave you my leftover thoughts. We talked about the injuries with banged up Bills. 
I gave you my predictions and my prospects to watch. Tomorrow, though, is going to be a good one. It's tailgate talk, and my guest is Joe Miller from the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. And, uh, man, we had a great conversation. I've already recorded it, and it's not one you're going to want to miss. We uh, we just kind of let our hair down a little bit and, and had a fun conversation about the Bills, the Dolphins, past and present, cold weather games, all kinds of really good stuff. And so don't miss that. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.